0: Welcome to the Days of Favour Teaching Day podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Okay, so are we all awake after having lunch? I uh, will try and be nice and lively so you don't fall asleep in the session. I know it's always the the hard kind of post-lunch. Oh, I want to have a nice little doze now. Uh, so we're just finishing off the last session. So the fifth thing was a people of a simple, childlike faith. And this is important just because we, don't, we can so easily complicate things. But if we're going to do the things that God is calling us to do, we need to keep it simple. God has made it simple. Not easy, but he has made it simple. And to be a people that will say, I'm going to trust what the word says. I'm going to trust the character of God and that's it, and I'm going to believe. And this, this analogy falls down straight away in one sense, but this isn't about the heart of a father. This is about the nature of a child. And some of you may have experienced this or had people that experienced it. And I had a friend when I was younger whose parents had split up, and week after week... Her dad would say that he was coming to pick her up and she would sit and she would wait for him. She'd sit and wait because he was her dad, so she believed him. And then he'd either be like two hours late or he wouldn't turn up at all. And then the next week, she would do the same again because he said he was coming. And so she believed that he was coming. And so she sat and waited, even though her experience told her that, He wasn't really trustworthy and that he wasn't going to do it. Her experience said that, but she trusted the words of her father. And this went on for week after week, month after month. It took quite a long time for her heart to actually become hardened enough to say, do you know what, I don't trust what he's saying, so I'm not going to bother waiting. And although the heart of our father is nothing like that, it's not about the heart of the father, but the nature of the child says, I believe what my father says. Whatever my experience says in front of me, I believe what my father says. I believe who he is because he is a good God. I believe that he is a faithful God. I believe that whatever is sitting in front of me right now, I'm going to actually trust the word. And I'm going to trust who he is and his character and nature. And if we can be people that have got that simplicity of faith, that will just (laughs) trust the heart of our father and trust the word of God, then... We can see mountains move. We can see the impossible happen, can't we? Because we're looking at the unseen. We're not looking at the seen. And we're not being swayed by those circumstances. And in 1 Peter 1, in the Passion, it's good, it says, It is through him that you now believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so that you would fasten your faith and hope in God alone. The Passion Translation likes that, that phrase, fastening. And I quite like it because it really, it, it is, it's really tangible. For me, it's really tangible. It kind of feels like I can picture something being fastened to something else. I can picture my faith being fastened to God. And our faith and our hope are fastened to God. They're in God. They're not in what we're trying to see happen, whether it's healing or salvation or whatever it is. Our faith is actually in God. So this is a very, just a short one. It's just one for us to refocus a little bit on our faith. Have we made it too complicated? If we're going to be that uh, prophetic people moving forward, we need to come back to the simplicity of what Jesus said and who he is. And it doesn't necessarily make it easy, but it does make it simple. And we don't need to make it any more complicated than that. So just a couple of questions there. Is your faith fastened in God or do you focus more on situations than on the Word and the character of God? So just have a, a think in the situations that you're facing right now or even just when you're thinking about Scarborough and thinking about what God is doing and what God is going to do in Scarborough. Is our faith fastened in God or what, what are we looking at? And is there a decision that we can make today that will shift your faith focus So that might be something that's more personal to you. But is there a decision you can make today that will shift your faith focus? Let's have a quick think about that. And then that's your final bit of reflection for a little while. Okay, so for the rest of this session, I want to look a bit at how we start to live and walk some of those things out in our own community and then how we live and walk them out in our community out there and then that will lead in to our final session thinking more about prophetic and missional imagination, uh, dare to dream, the four questions that we weren't allowed to see but we will be able to discuss and looking at what that means and some of the, some of the research that Pastor Paul did earlier in the year. Yes, it was earlier in the year, wasn't it? So, being a prophetic people in a church community. Oh, no, that's it. So, as we've talked about earlier, there's no such thing as a prophetic person or prophetic people who use their gift in isolation <coughs> for the rest of the body. And although although this aspect of the prophetic isn't our focus today, I just want to just quite briefly look a little bit at what the, some of the, Scriptures in the New Testament that talk about the sort of prophetic gift because we can take those and we can put that into more of the context of what we're looking at. So, although we're not talking about the spoken prophetic gift as such today, we're talking about living missionally and living prophetically and having that prophetic and missional imagination. I just want to look at some of these for a moment. If you've done the prophetic course, you'll know that one of the first things on that first session that I ask you to do is to look through the, uh, not chapter headings, the kind of subheadings of 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Because what that does is it helps us contextualise the prophetic. It helps us contextualise uh, where it's supposed to sit in our lives. So for those of you that haven't done that... Uh, beginning of chapter 12 looks at spiritual gifts. So we're starting off with spiritual gifts. And then Paul moves on to talk about one body with many members. And then he goes on to talk about love. And then he comes back to talk about prophecy and tongues. And then about worship and orderly worship. And he didn't lump all the prophetic stuff together. He put it firmly in the context of love. And he put it firmly in the context of the body so that it was very clear that this is something we work through together, it's something that we do together, it's something we are together, it's something we become, and it's, it's in the context of the body and not in the context of any individual person. And whilst there's... The prophetic in the meeting context is important, it's part of what we do, it will always be part of what we do, Uh, but it is only one element of the prophetic, and it isn't necessarily our ultimate goal, you know, I can now prophesy in a meeting. That's not our main aim, that's not where we're going. We need to be prophetic in our community, in our everyday lives, in what we're doing, in how we live together, and... Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 9, so right in the middle of all that, which has just all disappeared. Again, most of you will know this scripture well. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. We know in part and we prophesy in part. We don't get any of it on our own. We, we just don't. If we're going to see the whole picture, we have to be together we have to be community we have to be willing to say I've got a bit of the picture I've seen some of this and somebody else will come and see the rest of it when we think we have to get the whole thing ourselves then we're never going to see the whole picture and even in even with the prophetic, we're never going to see the full picture. In the New Living, it says, our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But in community, we can get a bit closer. You know, even in... We're told to discern and weigh prophetic words, aren't we? But I would suggest we've often looked at that in a bit of an individualistic way. You know, take it, you know, but this is speaking to more of a collectivist culture. It's speaking to community culture so even discerning and weighing what god's saying we do it together we come to it together we don't have to process everything on our own we can do this together and if we can shift away from thinking i have to have the whole thing i have to have it and i have to be able to discern and it can become quite a burden but i don't think paul ever intended that because he was always speaking to a community he was always speaking to that more collectivist culture and so all these things that we think about, we need to learn to be doing them together, and understand that that's okay. There's something about our individualist culture that wants to feel like we've got it all, and that you know we we have it, and we've got the whole answer, and that and somehow that makes us a little bit more important. Because in individualist culture, I am important. In a collectivist culture, in the community, I'm not important. We are important and we see ourselves as the we, not as the I. So if we can process things as we, not I, then that will help us to get a better picture and to see what God is doing. The other thing is that we, don't, we can start to take the prophetic from being something that's spontaneous and meeting-focused into something that's thought about, something that's part of our everyday lives, something that is um, that we live and we put into a community context. When we do that, it can be really transformational. So thinking all the time, thinking about each other and asking God what he is saying, and what he's seeing, what he's seeing. And if, you know, if you're thinking about your friend, what, what is God seeing for them right now? Because when we do that for one another, we start to build them up and we start to move them on. And as we do that for one another, we can then do it in our community and we can equip one another um, to do that. This is the, the main scripture about what the prophetic is, but I, I don't want to think about this in terms of a standing up in a mic- with a microphone and, or even getting a prophetic word you know, for lots of different people. But this is the fundamental cornerstone of the prophetic, but he who prophesies speaks edification, exaltation and comfort. So everything to do with, with the prophetic, even when we're, when we're thinking we're seeing what God is doing, it will always involve edification or encouragement. Encouragement's the word I'm going to use. It's a different word for edification, um, exaltation and comfort. That, that is what it will involve. It will never involve anything negative but it will always be these things. Aren't they nice elephants? Is that just a random picture? Sort of. No, not really. (laughs) I like the elephants. There was a really nice one of gorillas, but it wouldn't pace properly, and I did like the gorillas um, cuddling each other, but it might have been a little bit too community. You know, trunks together as elephants might be a little bit easier to get our heads around. <laughs> so, we are all in this together. The fivefold ministry of apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors and evangelists is very clear that it is for the building up of the body, it's for the equipping of the body. They are not the ones that do it all. They are ones that equip the rest of us to do it. That it is the job of the fivefold ministry. So, we are all in this together. We don't wait for the pastors to do the the pastoral stuff. We don't wait for evangelist or the evangelism we've talked about this many times it's something that pastor paul has brought us over and over again so hopefully that is something that is firmly in our minds that we are all in this together and that's really important because we cannot um, we cannot say somebody this is somebody else's responsibility if you go back to that uh quote from that japanese about the japanese they couldn't conceive of themselves as him. They couldn't conceive of not doing something as a whole community. And so we are all responsible. We are all in this together. So we're just going to look at these three things and what that looks like as practically as we can for one another. So edification or encouragement. You know, if we did this all the time, there wouldn't be a whole lot of pastoral needs in the church that the, the pastors, if you like, would need to get involved in, particularly not smaller things. If this was our lifestyle of encouragement and our lifestyle of continually asking God, how can I encourage this person? How can I encourage this person? If we all did that, then there wouldn't be so, so many pastoral needs that would need That kind of more intensive pastoral expertise and care. Because when God speaks a word of encouragement into our lives, things can shift in a moment, can't they? Mm. That's sometimes that's all it takes. You can go a word of encouragement from God, and you know, for a couple of weeks, three weeks, or even longer Mm. permanently, Mm. things can change. And that's something that if we can make it part of our culture, and I think we are, and We're increasingly doing that, and as we increasingly do that, we'll find that there are things that just drop away from our lives all the time because we've just had a a little word of encouragement uh, from that person, something from that, and then we've given one there, and we've given one there. So encouragement is really encouraging people in who they are, seeing people as God sees them, seeing people in the way that God wants them to see themselves, and then speaking that into being. And I think if we did that, the people that felt rejected wouldn't feel rejected. You wouldn't struggle with rejection, with low self-esteem, wondering if they're good enough, wondering if fit in. So it's something that can make such a difference. I think it's one of the strongest prophetic gifts you can have of encouragement if you make that decision, this is what I'm going to do. And if we can create that culture of favour and blessing that culture of affirmation, not just from ourselves, but asking God, what do you see? What do you see? What do you see? When we're praying for somebody, when we're talking to somebody, what do you see? And this relates, I'll say this a bit later, but this relates anywhere this isn't just in the church community wherever we are whatever we're doing in our workplace god what do you see about this person right i'm going to speak that word of encouragement that you see that could break something in their lives that then causes them to be able to see jesus clearer because it's jesus in us it's christ in us the hope of glory isn't it they're not going to see jesus well some people might see jesus in a vision but most people are going to see christ in us the hope of glory And so by speaking that out, it enables that to happen. Exaltation, good word, means to strongly encourage or urge someone to do something. So this is a bit stronger sometimes, and it's more about helping people do something, not just who they are. So when we encourage somebody, we're encouraging them in who they are. Uh, hebrews ten twenty four says, "Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, and spurring on is really exhortation. Uh, what can we do to motivate each other to good decisions? What can we do to motivate each other to be more committed to sort of, the word? What can, can we do to motivate each other to help each other to uh, be missional wherever we are to in our workplaces, to be able to be revealing Jesus? What can we do to help people, urge people forward so that they can break the, the cycles that they've been in? When we're doing that, we're exhorting people and we're saying, come on, I'm going to run with you, I'm going to walk with you, but let's, let's do this together, come on. I'm going to urge you to move forward, move forward. We can sometimes in grace and love, which we always need to do everything in, I don't know this is necessarily true of us, but it is possible uh, as believers to just kind of leave people where they are because we don't want to pressure them. And we don't want to pressure people. And grace and love is always covering everything. There is also a place for picking somebody up, taking them by the hand and lifting them up and saying, "Right, come on, let's, let's do this together. I'm going to urge you forward. I'm going to spur you on to good deeds. I'm going to spur you on to what God's called you for. Because we want to see each one of us fulfilling our potential in Christ, don't we? We want to be a community where every person is fulfilling everything that God has said. But that's going to happen as we help each other do that and we urge each other and we spur one another on. We can all run a little bit faster. When we do this, we create a bit of momentum in each other. Yes, I want to do that. And a lot of that comes from spending time with each other. You know, we don't drift to the top of a mountain. There is nobody that has ever just drifted to the top of a mountain. And most people don't climb mountains on their own. Some do, crazy people. Um, (laughs) But most people go climb a mountain together together for lots of reasons, but most people, or a lot of people would give up if they didn't have that other person to take their hand and to keep, you know, we can do this, we're doing it together. So if we're going to get to the top of the mountain, we've got to do it together. I love that comfort is one of the main kind of prophetic things, if you like, purposes, main purposes of being prophetic. God knew that we would need comfort at so many different times in our life. There could have been all sorts of things that could have been there instead of comfort, but as part of the cornerstone of being prophetic and living prophetically is that ability to bring comfort um, to other people, to ease or alleviate people's feelings of grief or distress. Well, one of the top priorities... is is comfort. And the Holy Spirit is our comforter. He's the ultimate comforter, isn't it? Part of the goal of comfort is to strengthen and to put something into people that wasn't there before. The goal of comfort is to strengthen and to put something into people that wasn't there before. And if we can do that amongst ourselves, and then if we can translate that to do that in our community... We can see so many people's lives transformed through being it's the Holy Spirit in us. He's the comforter, so that is what should be coming out. But how can we do that? How can we do that? I've just put that phrase up there, how are we known in heaven? Simply because that is just one of the things, one of the questions we can ask when we're praying for somebody. When I say, okay, I'm praying for Roy. How God, how do you see him? How is he known in heaven? What is God's God saying? What does heaven see when they look at Roy? Okay, that's what I'm going to pray. And that's what I'm going to call him into. And God will show us as we ask him. And one of the things that, sorry, for those that have done the prophetic courses, what I bang on about a lot, about taking it out of the spontaneous and into thinking deeply about one another, to be a strong community, we need to think about one another and ask God, what are you saying? What are you saying? What what do you want to do? How do you want to encourage? How do you want to exhort? How do you want to comfort these this person? And not just quickly go, oh I'm walking past Lauren, oh I'm go- oh I've got something okay. But okay, God, okay, I've heard that bit. Now how do you want me to give that? What is there anything else you want me to say? What is it that she needs to hear? What's the best language that I can use to express this to her in a way that she's going to really receive it? And to craft things and think deeply for one another. When we really live in community, we don't just have fleeting kind of, oh, I've seen that person, oh, hi, how are you? We start to engage at a much deeper level and to start to really ask God. And when we do that, there's something so precious, isn't there? When somebody comes to you and says i want to encourage you with this and i believe that god's been speaking to me the thought that they've been thinking about you that they've been praying for you and that god has spoken to them just that in itself can bring people that little bit of a step on so i know that's a lot about the kind of prophetic gift but that's how we need to be living if we can live like that then we can be a community that is very, very powerful, but is also very strong. If everybody's taking responsibility for those things with each other, then we've got all that energy left to really start to look at what it means to minister to our community and be part of our community. I'm not gonna do this now, but it's just a th- the th- thought. The thought, can speak there. Who needs your encouragement, exhortation, or comfort? How can you meet that need this week? It's just to get us to think, okay, I'm not just going to listen to that. I'm actually going to do something about it. Because we start to do something about these things and make them part of our lifestyle, then we will shift in our thinking. We will shift in what we do. Was that too quick? Okay. Okay. right, it's just the last um, little bit, last 10 minutes or so. Really quite briefly, just going to look at how we translate that into living prophetically for our community and living prophetically in our community. And the things that we look at in the last session will put this into a wider context and into what we need to do to move forward, how we should be moving forward with this so what do you see and we've talked about this and we're going to talk about this a little bit more again a little bit later but what do you see in Genesis 13 God said to Abraham so this after Lot has separated and he said to him lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward southward eastward and westward for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever Abraham Abraham no Abraham he wasn't Abraham at the time Abraham had to lift up his eyes and see and look and see what God was giving him what is God giving us what is God showing us what can we see if we can see it we can start to believe for it if we can't see it we won't be able to believe for it so we need to be able to see it we need to use our imagination we need to look and say god i want to see like you're seeing i want to see with the eyes of my heart with my imagination i want to see scarborough that question that we had earlier what would scarborough look like if god was completely in control could you do that it's quite a difficult thing to, to try and imagine, isn't it? But if we can see it, we can start to believe for it. Um, I think it, it was Donna, wasn't it, that you said about perfect health. If you can see that, then you can start to believe for it. And again, we're community. We don't all have to see everything. We don't all have to see the whole picture. Because if we're all seeing what we've what we can see and we're believing for what we can see then the whole picture will come together none of us has to have it all we all need to have a an overview but god will give us eyes to see that that is is what he wants us to believe for living prophetically it isn't just about just praying the odd perfunctory prayer, just God bless Scarborough. There's an element. If we're going to live like this, then we need to be those that will intercede. And the word intercede simply means standing in the gap. Simply means standing in the gap. Um, it's not. It's not something that sounds very simple, is it? And but that is what it is, and it's a powerful thing. But we need to see first. Because what you see, you can then believe for, and what you believe for, you will be able to intercede for. It's very difficult to stand in the gap and intercede for something that uh, that you haven't seen and that you don't be- you can't believe for. And in number 16, we see a very powerful example of intercession. Actually, I might leave you to just read that, but it's um, where Cora and his followers had rebelled against Moses. The end result was the earth opened up, swallowed them up. Not good news. The next day, the rest of the people decided they were going to come back in opposition to Moses. I'm not totally sure what they thought was going to happen, but they weren't very happy that these 250 or so had died and they were accusing Moses of having killed God's people. And they came back and I'll just read this bit. But when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and turned towards the tent of meeting, suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting and the Lord said to Moses, get away from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once and they fell face down. Then Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put incense in it along with burning coals from the altar. Hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. So Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. Moses could have allowed this to happen. He might have been quite fed up by now. He you know, got to this point, and they're all rebelling against him. But he had the heart of an intercessor. So did Aaron. They had a heart that was prepared to stand between the living and the dead. Over 40,500 people still died in that plague. But Aaron stood between the living and the dead and interceded so that the plague would stop and offered atonement for them. And It's just the challenge, really, of will we stand between the living and the dead? Will we intercede for our community? Will we be that prophetic people that don't just say, I can see it, I can believe for it, but then take it that next stage of I'm going to intercede for it, and then we need to look at what we do about it because we become our prayers, don't we? We were praying in the prayer meeting yesterday morning. I found myself praying something, and then I said, I'm going to stop praying now because I'll have to be the answer to my prayers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They all laughed at me. Um, I'm not even going to say what it was. Um, <laughs> yeah, so do a whole bunch of other people. Yeah. What was it? <laughs> <laughs> it's written in the <laughs> Is it? Uh, who did that? Who did that? They're like you, Mike. <laughs> yeah. But you do that only you? sometimes. You find yourself praying for something like, oh, oh, this might be dangerous. God might want me to actually do this. Um, But that is intercession. And finally, in this, living in the light, the life that stands in the light, because darkness can't hide it, can't hide um, when light comes, can it? We know that the darkness has to dissipate. We've looked at that many times. But Jesus never, ever assumed that associating with corrupt people would defile him. We know that. He always associated with, with those that you might say, oh, that could rub off on you. You don't, don't want that uncleanness near you because it might rub off on you. But when you're standing in the light, there is nothing, there is nothing that darkness has on us. When we're standing in that holiness that we have and that we are, and we're walking in it and we're living it out, then actually that's contagious. Holiness can be contagious. Cleanliness is in, in this, in spiritual realm, is cleanliness is more con- catching than uncleanness. If we will spend time amongst people, with people, they should be catching holiness from us. It should be contagious. If we're living who we are in Christ, it will be contagious. So we don't need to try. We don't need to worry about... Do you, uh, for many of you that were particular sort of believers back in, I don't know, in the 90s particularly... Uh, there was such a thing about not doing this, not doing that, not going to those places, not because you might catch it and you might become, the darkness might rub off on you. That can happen, but it only happens if we're living lives of compromise already. And then that it can happen and we're likely to just go follow it because we're already in that compromise. But if we're standing in the light, if we're standing in our... Rightful standing as holy people, righteous people, the gift of God that's been given to us, that righteousness that has been given to us, then we've got nothing to fear from the dark. And actually, as we live our lives with our community, they will see cleansing. It might happen slowly, but they will because it's contagious or it can be contagious. So let's live that, living that light and that life Okay, we're almost there, which is exciting because let's get another cup of tea. So we talked about encouragement, excitation and comfort. All of those things we talked about, they're not just for our community. There's nothing in scripture that talks about anything prophetic being just for the body of Christ. It is for everybody so let's li- we can live those lives of encouragement excitation and comfort wherever we are wherever god's called us to be in the community and wh- if we do that we can see such transformation i really believe we can see transformation in people's lives and i've seen some of that in testimonies from people that have done some of these kind of exercises as they've gone through the prophetic course as well and how it's changed their relationships with people As they've sought God for a word, they've given God, they've given that person a word of encouragement, and it's changed the relationship, and it's opened doors, and that's really exciting when that happens. It is, although I I, I know our focus isn't on the, the spiritual gift of prophecy, but it does open doors, and it does open doors, and it enables us to minister to our community very, very powerfully. But we don't always need to feel like we've got a big word of knowledge. A word of encouragement infused by the Holy Spirit can bring transformation as much as a word of knowledge can do so. We have treasure in jars of clay. Our jars might be a little bit cracked, like those ones out there, amended and stuck together again and again and again. But they're still functioning. But we've got treasure in jars of clay. The kingdom of God is within us christ in us the hope of glory it's all in us all of it's in us already so we need to get that jar and we need to tip it upside down and let that treasure out we don't just let that treasure stay in the jar and you know, often it can be easy to keep it stuck in the jar because it's safe in there if we let it out it might be a bit more scary but we need to let the treasure out i was going to say we initially i was going to say we need to break the jar because that kind of seemed more expressive. But I'm not sure we should break the jar if we're the the jars, really. Although, you can look at it in lots of different ways. But we need to let the treasure out, however that goes. Take the stopper off the top, if there's a stopper on it. um, Pour out, turn it upside down. Let the treasure out in our community. An individual can make a significant impact we see throughout history, don't we, individuals that have made a massive impact, and they can. But that isn't, one, it's not the season we're in, but they can only make a limited impact, really, however big it is. But no one person can make the sort of impact that a group of people living prophetically and missionally and in community can make. And if we do this together as a community, so as we look at some of this um, dare to dream and Miss- uh, Mission on prophetic imagination in the next session. If we're doing it together, we can make an ex- exponentially bigger impact than if we do this, any one of us do this on our own. Is the end of that session. So, ah, oh, and I've, I have finished three minutes early. So that's brilliant. What we'll do is we'll just take, probably just need a 10 minute break actually. Mm-hmm. 10 minute break, okay? Yeah. Uh, because it's not that long since.